From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 562, SQL DevOps with guest Michael Upton, recorded Thursday, November 16th, 2017. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio here at Connect in New York and sitting down with Michael Upton, who is the technical lead at Redgate Software. He's been a developer since 2001, starting with C++ and MFC, joined Redgate in 2011, and is focused on building tools to help databases be part of the DevOps process. Welcome, sir. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, and Redgate, one of those companies that if you care about databases, you probably use their tools. That's certainly what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. We've been around for 18 odd years now, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, something like that. Almost as long as there's been SQL in uh, the yeah. Microsoft space, there's been a Redgate tool to help us with it. And I can't tell you how many times they use SQL Compare. Like it's between SQL Compare and, and Nance. Yeah. Uh, those are sort of the two tools for a guy who did performance tooting on the web. Right. You know, yeah. m- profile the methods, study the SQL server, you know, yeah. see what the changes are. And like, that's just been the real life for me. So, and you guys getting on the DevOps bandwagon in a big way? Yeah, I think it's something we've been seeing happening with our customers. We've been seeing people talking about how they've got their, their databases and like you said, SQL compare. Mm-hmm. But that's a very manual thing. That's a very... Time consuming, I suppose. I mean, it's easier than looking at it and writing your own scripts all the time. Yeah. You know, it's still back to that original mantra of, as a DBA, I am keeper of scripts. Exactly. Right? Like, that tends to be the job is, you know, and rule number one is figure out what version before you run your script. Like, writing a script smart enough that it just won't do harm. Mm-hmm. That that it actually will, will simply... Only make changes that the changes need to be made will actually revert changes that they're not supposed to be there. This idea that I know what the state of the schema should be, yep. get me there. But that's what SQL compares for. That's what SQL compare does for you. Yeah. But imagine that scaling up as suddenly you're trying to make those changes more often and lots of those changes. Right. And, and you've got this one DBA who's in charge of it all. Yeah. Everything has to go through him. That's that's not scalable. Well, it becomes this crazy gate for everything. Yeah. So I see a lot of developers, as they're starting to cycle faster, as this DevOps process really takes a hold, they are avoiding data schema changes at all costs, or they're going to alternative data stores that aren't under the control of a DBA. Absolutely. Which introduces its own set of problems. <laughs> yeah, I've certainly seen that happen. Um, you certainly hear that's what the reason developers have moved into NoSQL. Mm-hmm. So. I did it myself with using a NoSQL database because it was a slightly different case. We didn't want to think about installing a SQL database on an end user's machine, and we wanted to manage that all ourselves. Right, simplify the back end. Exactly. It's just that you still have the data integrity issues, like keeping data around is important. You don't actually want to break anything. It's a decision we actually regretted in the end with that product. No kidding, yeah. We suddenly, by the end of it, realized that ACID was actually quite important. Yeah, Transactional integrity. Yeah, it turns out it helps. Yeah, it turns out it's good. It's good for business. Well, and it, I think it, that's an interesting conversation when I'm talking to developers about these alternative strategies. Mm-hmm. Like, does data consistency matter to you? Like, what it, what data you're collecting and how you're collecting it? Like, is ultimately that tends to be the real value the application brings to the table. Mm-hmm. So as soon as that's the value, you know, transactional integrity suddenly gets important. And do you have a data store that will handle that? 
And also when you start making assumptions that transactional integrity is there right. without realizing that it's not quite. And if you grew up with SQL Server, mm. where you've always had asset compliance, you just can't even imagine a world where it doesn't. Yeah. Right. So it's, I think that was just a shock to the system. It's like, let's go back to fundamentals yep. of why those things were actually important. So maybe that wasn't the right way to get around the problems with having the DBA as the gatekeeper for SQL Server. But I've also found SQL Servers where they've been wrapped in so many layers of caching and things that mm. they've eventually circumvented integrity anyway mm. in the in the name of performance. And mm. where you sort of got to argue, well, if you're going to bypass all this stuff, why are you storing it in a relational database anyway, at least in the performant transactional chain yeah. where, you know, we'll still use the database for analysis, but let's take the data in and store it in a document database initially because it's fast and then we'll distribute it out to the relational database asynchronously outside of the path of the customer. Hmm. But we were talking about trying to get the DBA in the DevOps cycle without killing them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, we've been hearing a lot, even here at Connect, about how valuable DevOps is and how DevOps is becoming more of a mainstream practice. Sure. I wouldn't describe it as completely mainstream yet, but it's definitely getting there, mm -hmm, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's, in a lot of ways as well, I found that's just a continuation of what the agile people have been saying, what lean people have been saying. Yeah, I wonder at what point we're going to stop calling DevOps and just call it software development. Yeah. Right? Like, this just becomes this, this is how you build software now. It's not a special thing anymore. I almost feel that way about agile these days, mm. that it's just become, that's how you build software. I think so, but it's like the principles behind it and right back to the agile manifesto. Mm -hmm. Providing Those value things are valuable, right? Remembering that it's all about people and DevOps have been saying the same thing. Sure. People, process tools, mm -hmm. those things come together, but back in the Agile Manifesto, it was individuals and interactions over mm -hmm. processes and tools. Sure. Working software over comprehensive documentation is the way to put it. And customer collaboration, all of these things are things that DevOps people have been talking about as well. Yeah. I wonder why the perspectives kind of it's, it's like it's coming at it from a different direction, but aiming at the same thing. It feels to me like they broadened it. Mm. That it's because it ended up, you know, the only folks reading the Agile Manifesto were developers. Yeah. And you wanted to have operations involved in that yeah. and the DBA involved in that as well. Exactly. Like, we actually have to do all of those things. Yeah. You, you kind of magnify that value by the whole company involved in the process. Right. And this ops siloing thing, I suppose, is what we've been talking about and what DevOps is trying to break. Well, and I think the DBA is his own silo as well. Mm. The average database administrator straddles the line between the developers trying to feed data into databases mm. and the operations folks trying to keep systems running. They, they almost live in both worlds and, and arguably could be a barrier in both places. They, they're trying to be good stewards of data, so they're yeah. trying to keep stuff secure. It's, it's a hard position to be in, and it ends up you, – you end up blocking a lot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? The databases are a bit different to applications. Mm-hmm. You can't just update them. You can't do that. You can't just throw the data away and start again because right. the data is the reason it's valuable, right? That's what it's there for. Well, and SQL Compare, like the SQL data tools, hmm. you know, my my exercise to get my self-confidence all those years ago hmm. was to do changes to a database that could lose data if you weren't well-behaved. And I remember both tools being really good at, hey, if you split this column into these two things, this is a one-way trip. Yeah. You know, we can't we can't get back from here. There's no easy way forward. You've got to make two new columns, leave the old column alone. Well, shift constraints, like it did write the right script. It warns you. Uh, yeah. it, it still does that. It's one of the things that people using Compare find really valuable. It tells you when something is going to lose data or do do something you're not expecting. Yeah, do something potentially destructive. But I mean, the other issue is even if, even if you can do it safely... 
it can still be slow. Mm-hmm. It's not just that there's data in this database. There's a lot of data in this database. Yeah. So how long is that column split or that, exactly. that particular integrity change going to take? Just modifying an index. If you've got to rebuild this whole index, so you sure. should take out your whole system while you're doing it. It's something where you need more control over how the database is going to get deployed when you make these changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So having the DBA review all of these scripts, yep. manually work out exactly how to deploy this hand craft it i mean they yeah. did a great job of crafting these scripts right but don't worry you're going to get to make another one three weeks from now <laughs> and then imagine that you've got to make those changes every day as yeah. suddenly like the point of devops is that teams are trying to move faster trying to release faster mm-hmm. trying to release more reliably and safely and somebody has swamped by scripts coming in and trying to understand what all of the developers were trying to do you know they just email him a script and say can you run this right it's like no no (laughs) what's it trying to do yeah but what's this actually mean so what's the alternative the alternative as we're seeing is shift left so this concept of making the developer responsible for how the database change is going to get deployed. Wow. Not just what the scheme is going to look like, but how the deployment should run. Right. And I've seen this mantra over and over again, that mm-hmm. now the developer, much more an engineer, mm-hmm. is not only responsible for understanding the feature, implementing the feature, deploying the feature, yeah. and any problems those features have in production. It exactly. all falls back on the same person. Exactly. So you're responsible for the system you run. Right. So yeah, it means deployment's part of it. But at the same time, you know, my DBA head goes, you're going to get the dev to do what? (laughs) Yep, certainly heard that. But there's value in it. And there's Mm -hmm. value for the DBA as well in the developers getting better understanding of the things that they're worrying about. Taking that responsibility. Exactly. Getting the the two groups of people talking to each other and Mm -hmm. working together more closely. Again, can we come back to this concept? It's more about the people than it is about the tooling here. For sure. Well, I found as soon as the developer was responsible for the tests, wrote different code. Yeah. As soon as the developer is responsible for deploying changes to a database, they're going to do those changes much more carefully. Yeah. More tentatively, I imagine. Does that eliminate the role of the DBA? I don't think so at all. I think mm-hmm. that the DBA can focus on the things that actually excite him, the things that he probably got into the role for. So the performance tuning of queries, right? Mm-hmm. He can he can help at the early stage as the change is being made. Rather than sure. seeing this bunch of crazy changes at the end, he yeah, can get yeah. in the beginning and say, actually, no, you might want to think about putting this index on this table here. Right. You might want to think about restructuring your table a bit. So more of a consultant to the developers that want to make these changes. Exactly. So rather than the developers just sort of throwing it over the wall to him and figure it out, they're now calling for help. Exactly. Say, I want to make these changes, but I'm nervous. So, yeah, tell me how to do this mm-hmm. or, or explain to me what's going to happen. And what's the fast way to go about this particular one? Yeah. And if you start pulling that into the kind of CI systems that we've had for the application development for a long time, mm-hmm. or even earlier than that in the, in, in the source control side of things, if the DBA can be reviewing the changes before it even gets into source control. Right. Then there's so much less time wasted watching it go through a dev environment and a test environment and finding out about the problems there. Yeah. The further left you go, the less time it takes. Exactly. Really. And so now you get into maybe you're part of the, as a DBA, you're part of the review process for all of those deployments. Mm. Now that's still a time effort, right? Like you are going to eat up a certain amount of time being involved earlier on. Yeah. But less time than sending it back to the developers to get the changes 
fixed right. from later. Well, they've already moved on to other things. They've already moved on. Maybe their application code that they're writing is depending on that change yeah. written the way they'd written it. And it's harder to change at that point as right. well. So and they're more resistant to, to adapting it. And they start feeling like the DPA is always saying no to them. Yeah. Because it's like, what you're doing is horrible. It's going to take forever. Like, we, we can't get that deployed. So, mm -hmm. But actually getting them involved in that process more and, and being able to see it makes a lot of sense. It's just, uh, it also takes a high level of trust, which I yeah. sometimes you get, I've, I've walked into a few companies where the level of trust between those different groups, between operations and DBAs and devs are so low, hmm. it takes a while to even get them really on the same page and talking. Which is, I think, why, like, Talking early and working on it earlier starts to build up that trust as well. Sure. Yeah. But also proving that it's reliable. So yeah. I guess you've got to prove that it works. Even source control for database schemas. Now you're talking crazy talk, Michael. Well, it's not, I mean, it is a good idea. <laughs> it is a good idea. But I think a lot of DBAs are, are just haven't faced it. That's something for developers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've actually surveyed about a thousand SQL Server professionals oh, to yeah. find out what's going on in the database DevOps space. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, Dev DevOps becoming more mainstream, but the database seems to be lagging behind. So this, this source control thing, 80% of the people we surveyed have applications in source control. I was a bit shocked that it was that low, to be honest. 80%. Only 80%. But for database source code, that goes down to only 58%. Wow. Okay. Which I almost feel like that's a higher number than I would expect it. Like, I'm stunned at any developer is building software without source yep. control, but apparently 20% of them were. Yeah. But uh, that's more schema in the database than I would have thought. That's kind of good news. That is good news. It should be a lot more. Then you get to CI. Right. And the numbers start dropping down. 20% of people are using some form of CI for sure. database. And that's what we'd like to be able to help. The role of the database in the CI stream is interesting. Mm. It sound, to me, it feels like it's something that has to go first. First, you make those structural changes or you add a table or add mm -hmm. a column, whatever that may be. Then you can roll. You may need to initially populate some data. If you've got some new, uh, new requirements in there and then the new app version you can roll out that depends on that new data. Yeah. You kind of want to tie the database and the application together. Sure. They need to be in the same package. Within the CI process is a script that says first make the data changes. Then you can start deploying. Yeah. But if you have the database schema or and the change scripts together. So there's there's like two approaches mm -hmm. that you can use to managing a database in source control. So you can uh, approach like SSDT. Yeah, the, the data tools. Yeah. yeah, so you have the schema model stored in your source control. Mm -hmm. And at the time of deployment, you effectively automate that compare process we were talking about. You basically look at the existing database against the schema in the package mm -hmm. and write the script. The script generates on the fly. Yeah, which is fine when it does the right thing. Yeah. Until we hit those data problems that we were talking about where there's a lot of data and it decides it's going to copy the whole table to another table to make a change. Yeah, and, and now it could run for hours. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's obviously a key problem. Hey, Michael, give me one second here to pay the bills. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of our leading projects called Already focuses on getting volunteers into the right place at the right time. HDBox is deploying this application in the field in the first half of 2017, and they need your help. Go to hdbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HDBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. 
And we're back. You're listening to Rhinos Radio here with Michael Upton from Redgate. Talk a little bit about DevOps with SQL Server and other relational databases, I'm sure, here mm-hmm. at Connect in New York. So I've used SSDT and run into exactly the issue you're describing where it's generated a script and this script is going to run for hours. So would you want to be automating that and trusting that to run through this whole database DevOps pipeline automated out to the end? Probably not. I think I want to look at that script and tinker with it and make some decisions. You know, sometimes making that kind of column change is easier if we drop the index and rebuild it. Like you're you're just sort of triaging the cost of things. But that means you now have a manual step in what is supposed to be a continuous deployment solution. So we're back to that situation where there's this bottleneck in the pipeline of getting the change from the from the developer's desktop out to production right. there's this bottleneck in the pipeline. So the other approach you can use is a migrations-based approach Okay, where you check in the change script. So you say, oh, and this is actually what people were doing before there were tools to do capturing the schema into source control. Right. You'd have a shared folder full of migration scripts. Okay. And you might, and you might be checking those in. Yeah. But. but then that brought its own problems of managing what had and hadn't run on the database. Yeah, you have to have a script smart enough to figure out what changes actually need to be made. So that's where the tool that I work on is is involved. This is a new tool? So this is um, a tool called ReadyRoll. ReadyRoll. Yeah, which is part of... It's actually part of Visual Studio Enterprise Edition. Oh, really? So we, we're in the box with Visual Studio 2017. Congratulations. That's not an easy thing to pull off. Not that there is a box of Studio 2017. No. It is a metaphorical box. A metaphorical box, indeed. (laughs) If you select the data workload, you have ReadyRoll as an option in there. Right. And that's included as part of your enterprise subscription. And so, and exactly that issue. It's interesting that Microsoft went that way rather than build their own tool that they asked to incorporate yours. Yes. Do you get paid for that? No, we don't. Oh, so you're giving, effectively giving it away. I mean, people, people have to pay for, for Studio Enterprise. Yeah. But you don't get paid. Seems unfair, really. <laughs> so there's obviously there's an upgrade step. There's right. a way you can get more advanced features out of it. Well, the same way we had crystal reports back yeah. in the day and preemptive analytics yeah. and you know, back when there was a box. But that, and so coming back to what the kind of concept of the tool sure. is, is that it um, manages these migration scripts and helps you to generate them as you're developing your application. So you work on your dev database. Mm-hmm. Make the changes as you normally would in SSMS or however you like to change yeah, whatever your tool you like to make. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then capture those changes and generate the, it will generate the migration script for you mm-hmm. using compare. But this is back at the dev stage for a small change. Right. Or, you know, when you're ready to commit this and then commit it to source control. And the other piece is the, is the migration log in the database. So. You only run the scripts that need to run when you deploy it to the target database. So can you run all the scripts with the scripts actually check, should I do anything or not? And if I don't need to, then don't do anything. So it's writing them right for starters. Well, you don't actually have to even write those kind of conditions in the script. You write the script that you want to do for the change. The tool keeps track of which which ones have run on the database that you're deploying to or not. Now, how do you handle this, oh, this is going to run for an hour thing? So this is where you have control over that deployment script. So you need to understand what you're writing. Mm-hmm. But the compare tool is still there and will still give you the warnings about that we were talking about earlier, the warnings that... Data damage issues. Data damage, exactly. But this is also where having the DBA review that change, but it's a small change, so it's easy to understand and it's easy to spot those performance problems back in dev before it's even gone through the pipeline. Sure. See, I think I'd want, in, I'd want a test case with a copy of a production size database 
you know, maybe anonymized or not, mm-hmm. you know, almost it's all internal anyway. I'm not that anxious about it. And, and just have ability to say, okay, well, here comes the changes they want. Run them with a, you know, with a timer of, of two minutes. And mm-hmm. if it goes longer than that, then stop and we'll look. So if they happen to be fast changes, just let them go on. Don't worry about them. But if they are longer ones, mm-hmm. just sort of help gate when you should pay attention to it. So this is what, what you're starting to talk about a pipeline in yeah. CI kind of process. So you do that process of taking what's in source control, this source of truth of mm-hmm. what your database should look yeah, like. Yeah, the intended destination. And run that on something that is production-like. Right, but not production. Not production, right? No cowboys here. Yeah. But you run it on something that's production-like. So the same way that you're doing unit tests on code, yeah. and you might be doing some web tests for for pages, mm-hmm. all running in parallel, distributed different locations, all test gear. Yeah. You've got this test suite for your database. So stand me up a production-like style database, run this script, see if it fails, see how long it takes. And that's the kind of thing that you can set up in VSTS. Microsoft were talking about that earlier in the sure. Connects announcements, all the, the gating things that they've put in to the VSTS pipeline. And so you can put a rule in place that says, if this runs within five minutes with no errors, just proceed. And if it takes longer than that, then that's a gate. Yep, that would be something you could do with it. Nice. Now the DBA has a role to come in and go, okay, well, that's taking so long. Oh, it's going to be seven minutes. We can live with that, you know, pass. It's going to be a half hour. Okay, let's look at some alternatives, what we can do this a little more efficiently. Yeah, and you can take the process and you can build on it and build everything that you know you can do with applications. Mm -hmm. you can get to a point where you have continuous delivery if you want to go that far. It's a scary step for people to sure. take. But I mean, you have to build up the rules. I mean, part of what they showed in the whole VSTS mm-hmm. demo at, at Connect, too, was this first deploys to ring zero, which is internal consumers mm-hmm. anyway. And you've got a gate there where they, you know, they've got to decide we've had few enough problems. We've exercised this enough. Okay, go to ring one. Yeah. And you gradually work out to more and more users. So that does not presume a rollback. Is there a rollback strategy at that point still? So rollback is an interesting discussion sure. because it's not something you can do with a database in a way that you might think you can. It depends on the schema, right? This is whatever the schema changes. If you're adding a new column for a new feature mm-hmm. and you roll back, so that feature's going away, you should be able to drop that column, although that is technically destroying data. Yeah. And so I would think SQL Compare would simply recommend remove all constraints from this column. Yeah. If that's actually been used in production, then maybe that data is valuable. Right. So you don't want to damage it. You just take the constraints off of it so the existing data mm-hmm. stays in place. The features are gone, so it's not going to put any more into it. You are back. Yeah. But that's not the same as... Where you were before you went. Where you were before you went. So it's mm-hmm. not the same as just rolling back that last change. Sure. And one of the things that people sometimes ask about is writing a rollback script to go with the roll forward script. But the problem with doing I mean... It, it can work. It's such an it depends. The problem with doing that is that you don't test it very much. Yeah. So assuming you've got this mistake all the way out to production for some reason. Just going to magnify it. You're now in the way to building a Gordinian knot. Exactly. So is the roll forward the roll correct forward strategy? Roll forward is more reliable solution most of the time. So you tested a small constrained set. So the minimum number of people are hurt mm-hmm. and then recognize, oh, if we have a problem, this is now the priority to roll forward exactly. over it to get rid of the problem. Yeah. So you just make the change that fixes the problem. Right. Roll that out to your ring zero again until they're happy and then you can proceed. Yeah. So you don't really want rollback. You want to be able to roll forward and be able to iterate quickly. I mean, that's Mm. when we were only shipping software every 18 months. It's like, oh, we'll fix it 18 months from now. As opposed to, no, we'll have that done today. Exactly. Yeah. Of course, you need to know there's a problem. So there's a 
there's some other pieces of the whole sure. DevOps process, isn't there? There's the monitoring at the yeah, at instrum- end, in- instrumentation and telemetry. Yeah, what kind of errors are you getting? Do you, can you see? Do you have to wait for someone to complain to actually know? Yeah. Which these days seems like a failure. You yeah, need to know you should know about it beforehand. And I guess you can tell I'm talking about it because we have a tool that does that as well. I imagine you, you do. <laughs> is that specifically on the database side? Yeah, there's a tool called SQL Monitor. SQL Monitor. Focused on monitoring SQL Server and giving you now is that just reading insights. instrumentation? Or is that actually poking queries in that are non data changing and looking at results? Like so, yeah, it's instrumentation on the machine. It's it's non invasive to the database. It doesn't have a an impact on the database's performance. Right. So it's reading performance counters. It's reading tracing information from SQL Server. Interesting. It's not my area. But it is another product space. And obviously, there's Perfmon if you want to use Perfmon. Yeah. I don't know if you ever ran across PAL, which is Performance Analysis of Logs. It's like one no, of these. No. It was an open source tool that has a bunch of information that monitors all kinds of Microsoft products, including SQL Server. And the main thing is it knows what performance counters to look at and yeah. what healthy looks like. Yeah. Like what's a good number? What's a bad number? Which is the hard part, right? Yeah. I mean, you need to compare it against some historical performance yeah. as well, which is another thing that well, the tool does. It's yeah, getting baseline data and just having confidence. Because mm. the other thing, once you know that, is you can see when you're actually degrading. Yeah, like performance is fading. We're having problems over here. We should before it actually tips over. Uh, know where where to go from there. Well, this is all cool stuff. And I mean, obviously, instrumentation. You know, we're for sort of finishing the the uh, DevOps loop here of being able to deploy well, being able to instrument the problems back so that you can turn those into work yeah. items and feedback through again. And the DBA has a role in that. Yeah, the DBA has a role in. Knowing what to monitor and knowing how to understand it. Mm-hmm. The DBA has a role in the kind of performance characteristics that you can only look at in, a, in the production system. Right. So you're not, for all of the testing you do pre-production, mm-hmm. you're not going to see what happens when it scales right. to all of your users. Yeah, well, I've tried to build load tests that look less like humans, but they always make a better human. <laughs> right? like, humans are weird. They do stuff to apps that you just cannot simulate with a tool. Exactly. So so when you now that you've freed up your time as a DBA from having to run the scripts that your developer gave you because you're letting tools and automation start doing that for right. you, you can concentrate on that piece and you can, with the developers at the beginning of this loop, start making the performance optimizations because of the performance effects you've seen on your production systems and start adding the right indexes, start changing the structure of your database. And because you've built this DevOps pipeline that lets you make changes safely and start thinking about refactoring your database, Mm -hmm. you can refactor for performance without having to worry about the impact it's going to have on your production system. Yeah, no, I think that's very interesting that uh, you also have a conversation with a developer about how can we have this feature function differently so it's yeah. not quite so hard on the database as it's being right now. Yeah, and how can we learn from it? Yeah. So it's just, there's another piece of this, of the kind of the agile kind of influences on this, mm-hmm. the inspect and adapt, the whole having these small feedback loops, these tight feedback loops. Mm-hmm. So once you've started being able to move faster, started being able to get changes through safely and faster, you can look at the relatively small impact of a change on production 
and learn from it and get that improvement through faster. Nice. You can start getting the benefit of making these incremental changes really quickly. Yeah, it's cool. And, it, and I think it's an interesting place for a DBA to get to, mm. to sort of have confidence that you, you've built workflows so that they are not able to damage data yeah. unintentionally and you're able to shepherd it forward for new, new capabilities, new features, anticipating needs rather than waiting till things tip over. Once you stop having to worry about babysitting the deployment process, right. you can worry about the more interesting problems. Yeah, I think that's always the truth with a lot of these platform options with the cloud and and new instrumentation options and so forth it's like the work doesn't go away it just gets more interesting because you get to work on harder problems mm, there's some in- interesting problems coming up um i don't know if you've heard of gdpr yeah oh yes the, the eu regulations yeah, we did a show on it data protection indeed so suddenly you've got to think about what data does your developer have access to as right. well how are we encrypting this how is it encrypted at rest yeah and it's all the personal identifiable information protected should a request for forgottenness yes. come in, do we actually have the ability to do it? Yeah. You can't just have what people used to have, a backup of production restored to this shared development environment. Yeah, that you can't do that. It's on. PII, right? Like, yeah, you need to be able to have a safe developer environment. Sure. So, And you want it, I mean, I think I would still work from a production database, but I would scrub the data hmm. and I would automate a process to do that. It may take a little bit of time, but it's the best way to work from the correct data size. Yeah. Just destroy all the the professionally identifiable stuff in it. And we have a tool that does that too. That, you're really, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's awesome. There yeah. is a data masking tool that we're working on at the moment. Right. But also a, a cloning tool, which is about provisioning these databases so if you have all of your developers with their own dedicated copies right. of the database mm-hmm. to work with because they're working in a distributed version control kind of system so yeah. using git for the database mm-hmm. there's no point having this shared database again no it doesn't even make sense if no, you it's destructive to the process like you actually want to have everyone have their own but that means you need this lightweight way of cloning production masking it and yeah. giving it to your database. And that's something that is an interesting space that we're working on. It does sound like another task for the DBA. To How do you create great test data so yeah. that your rapidly moving developers are working from the current truth without violating people's mm. privacy? And there's a whole other conversation in, in the- Yeah, in I think the, there is. Yeah, about data breaches and things like that, which again, it falls under the purview of the DBA as well. Mm. You know, have some cycles for preventative work of how well secured is our data? What would we do in case of a breach? You know, what do those things look like? Yep. A big can of worms. Well, Michael, a half hour's disappeared. It really has. Uh, a great conversation. I mean, it's very interesting to think through these problems in that way and how the workflow is different. So I appreciate your time. Thanks Thank for you. coming on the show. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.